Hi, it's Jack from the MMA Island Podcast. Before this video gets started, before you listen to the podcast, big shout out to our sponsors, BetUS. If you are going to place a bet on MMA, basically any sport, do it through them. Their, their program is so great. They have everything that you would need to make a bet, to, to look at the bet, the props, everything there. If you want to do a parlay, it's there. Please go through BetUS. The link is in our description, in our bio. It'll be on Instagram. You can find it everywhere. BetUS, big shout out to our sponsor. I'm Jack and they hit a lot harder in my opinion too. What is up everybody? My name is Kayla McNamara and everyone's got a plan until they get hit with my views. I am Hunter Boss. He just wanted to go to the distance by the looks of it. But he couldn't even do that. And this is the MMA Island Podcast. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the MMA Island Podcast. I am Jack Kennedy alongside Kaylin McNamara. We're here. It is fight week. Today is UFC 266. Get excited. We're excited, and we're here to break down the card. Let's get started with the news. Well, I guess technically yesterday, Friday, Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler both made weight at the 185-pound limit. The fight was originally scheduled to be fought at 170, but got moved up 15 pounds from the Diaz camp, let's start with what we think the implications of this weight change are and our prediction for Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler. Keelan, what do you think? Well, the implications kind of run deeply throughout this whole thing. I mean, even at 170, this fight was unpredictable because we don't know what Nick Diaz we're going to see anyway. You add 15 pounds into that mix and throw straight all the way back to 2004 and you really don't know what you're getting. I mean, with Robbie Lawler, you've probably got one of the most dangerous version of Robbie Lawler you've seen since the title run because you've got a Robbie Lawler who's packing even more firepower than he did before. As for Nick Diaz, he will probably punch a lot harder, but I would imagine his movement's going to be a little bit inhibited as well. But realistically, until fight night, it's impossible to say what the practical implications of the move up to middleweight will be. We won't really be able to tell much until we see both guys in the octagon and that opening bell goes. So it's it's just yet another intriguing element down the rabbit hole of Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. And to be honest with you, I'm just so excited to see it. I don't care if the move up to light heavyweight at this point. I just yeah. want to see what happens. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is this is just kind of crazy. I you, you summed it up perfectly. This fight is just going to be bananas. We don't know anything about it going into it because we don't know what Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz is going to be. We know nothing about what he's been doing. Um, I will say this. There has been all the clips and everything, you know, of him punching before and everything on weigh in day. He looked in shape. He looked ready to go. Um, 185, 170. Honestly, for this fight, for a lot of fights, I would think, yes, it's a massive, you know, it's a massive change. It's a massive difference. The way Robbie Lawler, his mindset is, the way Nick Diaz, his mindset is, I think they're both going into the fight. I mean, it's still five rounds. Nothing much changes except for they don't have to cut that extra weight going down to it. I don't think that changes the fight too much. Um, Let's also be honest. The implications for this fight aren't ridiculously huge. I mean, the winner, okay, if Nick Diaz wins, okay, he goes on and maybe he'll fight, like, I don't know, Jorge Masvidal next or something like that. And then the implications get interesting because you enter stuff. Robbie Lawler versus Nick Diaz at 185 is not going to shatter the welterweight division. Um, now, if Robbie Lawler wins, then nothing really changes. because They're not going to give Robbie Lawler Jorge Masvidal because he does, he's not the draw that Nick Diaz is. So 
Um, as far as that goes, I really don't think that influences how the fight is going to go that much. And the power will translate and the way they'll go will translate. They just don't have to completely drain themselves before the fight night. That's the only thing I think is, you know, the big thing here. Um, any other fight, I would say completely different. But for this fight, not really. I'm completely on your side. I am just so stoked to see how this fight is going to go because there's so many things that we don't know how it's going to go. You know, uh, Nick Diaz, how just the first 30 seconds, how is he going to go? My, I think Robbie Lawler is going to start shooting out. What's your predictions for this fight? What are you thinking? Well, I mean, there's so many different reasons why I love this fight to begin with. But yeah. one of the biggest reasons is that a lot of modern UFC fans and a lot of our viewership have never actually seen Nick Diaz in the octagon. And that I really love the nickname, the people's main event, because I think this sums it up better oh, it than is. any other yeah. phrase could. Yeah. Um, in terms of what will actually happen, I think we're going to see the old Nick Diaz again. I mean, I got to admit, Nick Diaz in the press conference especially conducted himself unbelievably well. He came across more intelligible and reasonable than a lot of fighters that I've ever seen, which is so undiaz like. And yet he did. It's weird. It's like, it's just like seeing this old sort of gunman come back more refined and more gentlemanly than he was before. It's it's a weird dynamic, yeah. but I digress. In terms of what will actually happen, say in the first 30 seconds, I think you're probably right, Jack, more than anything. I can see Robbie Lawler pressing straight away and trying to get Nick Diaz out of there early because Nick Diaz is going to take the first two rounds just to get back into the swing of things. He's not going to come out like the old Nick Diaz with his hands out, reaching for distance yeah. and stuff like that because he can't. He's, he, he's going to have to acclimatize. He's going to have to adjust to being back in there again, whereas Robbie Lawler has been in there a lot and a lot more recently than Nick has. So the first round or two for Nick is going to be a feeling out process, but he's going to have to survive those first two rounds because Robbie Lawler will be looking to put him away with one hellacious overhand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, who, who do you think wins, though, at the end of it? <sighs> I'm forcing it on you. You have to make a pick. Dude, I love these guys. I love them both so much, and it's such a hard thing to have to predict. I could, The problem is I can see both for equally meritorious reasons. Robbie Lawler's been more active. Robbie Lawler punches harder. Nick Diaz has a better gas tank, better stamina, maybe a better chin as well. I don't know. I'm going to go on a bit of a limb here, and solely because what I think it would do for the welterweight division would be unbelievable. I'm going to say a Nick Diaz decision. I love it. Yeah. Hey, why not? Why not? I, I could see this fight going to the decision for sure. Both of the guys have the cardio and ability to go to a decision. However, I'm going to pick Robbie Lawler to win by a, I'm going to say decision. Why not? I'm going to say Robbie Lawler decision. I think he's going to come out guns blazing in the first, uh, first two rounds, just like you said, um, and try and get Nick Diaz out of there. I just think in the long run, Robbie Lawler is just going to control the majority of this fight. I can see this fight going where Nick Diaz has his moments, maybe a moment late, but for the majority of the fight, Robbie Lawler kind of controlling it is what I see going into it. Um, Robbie Lawler is, I, I, at the end of the day, he's been more active. And yes, he hasn't been winning, but the guys he's been fighting is Colby Covington, Neil Magny. I mean, he's been fighting legit fighters still. Um and he's going to go out there. I mean, Robbie Lawler is a warrior. Both of these guys are. And there's so many unknowns going into it, which is what makes this fight so exciting. Seeing Nick Diaz back. I agree with you. It would be phenomenal to see Nick Diaz win and just have him do another BMF belt. 
about against uh, Jorge Masvidal or something like that. Maybe Nick Diaz passes it down and says, okay, it's on the line now. Who knows? It's going to be amazing. And I absolutely love that it's a five rounds. I'm leaning a little bit towards Robbie Lawler. But the truth is, just like when we had Robin Black on, who knows, which is why we love the fight so much and we cannot wait to see it. Yes. So, do you want to say something real quick? No, um, what I will say is, and I'll throw it out there solely for intrigue, I don't know if it will happen. I don't really think it will happen. But what no one's talking about is if this fight hits the ground either. Say one guy gets rocked or gets stumbled, I think you're playing right into Nick Diaz's uh, wheelhouse right you're there. absolutely right, yep. My, my sort of third alternative that I can see happening, perhaps more out there, but what I can see is I can actually see Robbie rocking Nick with like a big uppercut or something and I can see Robbie diving in and perhaps getting finished with a triangle as well because as much as I love Robbie Lawler whenever he hits the deck he goes to take you out and the problem with that is with those big looping overhands on the ground is that you are in triangle territory and armbar territory and the Diaz's are masters of both that's going to be my slightly third, more obscure route to victory. But I'm just going to throw that out there in case nobody's considered that. If this fight hits the ground, who gets the advantage then? Oh, no, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think Diaz has the mat because that's what his base is. That's what Nate Diaz's base is, too. It's in it's in boxing and jujitsu. Uh, and on the ground, he's a dangerous threat. I and mean, how many times we've seen him and his brother finish guys when they've left their arms down, they're going for the finish like Robbie Lawler would do hypothetically. I think 99% of the time he would do that going for a looping punch. He, he If he catches the wrist, that could be an arm bar. It could be a triangle. Any number of submissions, Nick Diaz is absolutely down there. I agree with you. Now, let's go ahead and move on. That's This car is so stacked. It's ridiculous. That's not even, that's yes, that's, that's the people's main event. We still have two title fights after that. Let's move on to the best of the best. And in this one, we're talking about one of the greatest women to ever do it in the sport of MMA, Valentina Shevchenko. Can anyone challenge her right now? Obviously, excluding the obvious Nunez. That's off the table. That's the topic we always talk about. What does Lauren Murphy have to do to not win, but just challenge Valentina Shevchenko? Well, she has to do what no one's ever done before, and that's stumble Valentina Shevchenko. You know, look. I, I have no problem saying this because I'm so emphatically certain that this is the case, but that I don't think there's anything that'll prove me wrong. Aside from Amanda Nunez, who's a natural 135er anyway, there's not a woman on this planet who can lay a glove on Valentina Shevchenko. That's just facts. Yeah. Everybody accepts it. We all know it's the case. So for Lauren Murphy to somehow even challenge Valentina Shevchenko, She's going to have to press off the bat straight away. She's going to have to land something huge in the first 20, 30 seconds just to slightly stumble Valentina. And she's going to have to keep her foot in the gas for 25 straight minutes, none of which I see happening, unfortunately, because Valentina is just far, far too good. The woman is an assassin. One split second mistake, one split second lack of pushing the pace and pressuring, and you're done before you know it. For I just don't see a route for Lauren Murphy. I really don't. No matter what way you split this fight on the feet, Valentina is one of the best strikers in mixed martial arts today. On the ground, her jiu-jitsu is criminally underrated. In the transition, her wrestling is world-class. There's nothing Lauren Murphy does better than Valentina Shevchenko. She just doesn't. Against the cage, everybody thought Jessica Andrade would ragdoll Valentina. 
Valentina took her down at will. If she can do that to someone as powerful as Jessica Andrade, she can do it to anyone. If she did it to someone as tall as Caitlin Chikigian, she can do it to anyone. If she can do it to someone as reachy as Jessica I, she can do it to anyone. And Lauren Murphy is none of those things. Yeah, hey, I, I agree with you. I think your assessment is absolutely correct. Does she have a chance in this fight? And I think the answer for almost any MMA fan that knows what they're talking about or knows Valentina Shevchenko is no. This is not like even when we saw Ronda Rousey at her peak and we thought she was going to be anybody. Because we knew what the flaws were for Ronda Rousey. For Valentina Shevchenko, what are her flaws? Like, actually think about it. What are her flaws whenever she's fighting someone? Someone has to figure that out when they're in there. And that is ridiculously tough whenever you're going into an opponent. You want to be able to see what someone's flaws are. Lauren Murphy... I think what she would have to do to potentially challenge Valentina Shevchenko is the impossible, which is what you said, nonstop pressure, nonstop going forward, trying to knock her out, which no fighter, unless they're Max Holloway, can do. You're going forward, and and Lauren Murphy is, is built more for power and grappling situations. That's the way she fights. Valentina will win those grappling situations. If she can beat, like you said, Jessica Andrade, at her own game, get her down there. She can beat anybody there. She can pick you apart on the feet, especially at the distance. I think the one area where Lauren Murphy might have an advantage is if it goes to the clinch because she is the naturally bigger woman in the octagon. If she can get the clinch and nonstop start throwing without getting tossed or something like that, keep the pressure up. Do not let Valentina Shevchenko get to distance. That's the only way she can possibly challenge her, in my opinion. And just like you said, I don't see a reality where that is possible. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, I think you're absolutely right to bring up the clinch because Laura Murphy generally has done some of her best work in the clinch, especially against the likes of Joanne Calderwood, for example. Yeah, exactly. The problem is on a dime in a split second, if you're in the momentum of throwing a hook in the clinch, you're hit tossing you're on the ground and it's over for you. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I genuinely think Valentina Shevchenko might be the most flawless fighter that I've ever seen because there's no area of her game that has a chink in the armor. She has no ego. She can't get overrun on the, on the ground, on the feet. She's impeccable. Her movement, her judgment of space is just seconds and none. In fact, it might even be none because I don't think anybody does it better. I agree. I mean, even when we consider... The goats, the greatest of the greatest. George Saint Pierre, at times he could get pressured and he could get hurt. Matt Sarah did that. Uh, BJ Penn did that as well. John Jones gets punched very, very easily. Anderson Silva could get cocky. Valentina Shevchenko has none of those weaknesses. She is like a cyborg. She's like the Terminator. She just does not have a chink in her armor that can be exploited by anybody. And the only chink in her armor that could be exploited was when she had to move up to face Amanda Nunez. And realistically, that's not a weakness at all. And those were arguable decisions also, especially the second one. I still maintain Shevchenko won that second fight. I think they're one-on-one. I it's a bit like Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez. I give the first fight to Amanda Nunez, but the second fight is absolutely to Shevchenko, and there's no For debate sure. about it. Sure. Realistically, I just think she, unless something catastrophic happens to Shevchenko and she completely loses her head and starts waving her chin out or something, I think she's unbeatable. Yeah, I no, I completely agree with you. Everything you said there is spot on. 
I, this is my, this is a hot take, but I always say if Amanda Nunes and Valencia Shevchenko were the same size, if they fought at, let's say, a 130-pound weight division and they were the same size, I give that fight to Valentina Shevchenko because of just how skilled she is. Amanda Nunes has all the power. This is a whole other conversation, but we're just talking about how good Valentina Shevchenko actually is and how difficult it is, how we can't even imagine the great Lauren Murphy is a fantastic fighter. There's a reason she's fighting for the belt. She's worked her way up. She's beaten the best of the best in the 125 pound weight division. But Valentina Shevchenko is just levels above everybody in the entire UFC. And it's ridiculous. It's, it's insane. And that's why you have to watch it because you're witnessing greatness. And I think we're going to see that again, just greatness from Valentina Shevchenko for sure. Oh, there's not even a question. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're considering goats of women's MMA, I think there's an argument for having Shevchenko above Nunez. And you know how highly I rate Amanda Nunez. I hold her in the highest of regard. But I just think in terms of pure skill, in terms of what Robin Black told us, in terms of muscle memory, in terms of preparation, I just don't think anybody comes close to what Valentina Shevchenko is. She is one in a billion. We'll probably never see the likes of her ever again. Yeah, and she's getting better every fight, too. She's literally getting better every fight, which is what's crazy. She's getting to the point where she's beating her opponents at what her opponents are supposed to be having the advantage in coming into her fights. Her last two, she she out-wrestled and fought on the ground with Jennifer Maya, who is one of the most deadly uh, grapplers in women's MMA currently. She just out-wrestled Jessica Andrade out muscled as Jessica Andrade on the ground beat her with elbows it's unbelievable and if you want to strike with her you have no chance just watch Jessica I I mean any Valentina Shevchenko fight it's going to be amazing um and I think we're going to see another dominant performance from Valentina Shevchenko now let's talk about it bet us sponsored pick of the night and our main event prediction Brian Ortega Alexander Volkanovsky Keelan what are you thinking oh dear god uh, this dude, this is such a tight fight. Um, it's it's almost impossible for me to call because these two guys are good at such different things, but they're so good at what they do that they almost neutralize each other and everything. I mean, I think for my money, Alexander Volkanovsky is the most disrespected and underappreciated champion in I the agree. UFC today, yeah. and I don't think it's really that much closer. Um, I just think the guy is so, so good, and he does not get anywhere near the credit that he deserves. I mean, yes, we talk about the second Holloway fight and all that kind of business, but that's not Volkanovski's job. His job is to fight. He does not judge the fights. He simply fights in them. If he gets a decision, we all would take it. So, you know, you really got to consider your perspective on that. And as for Brian Ortega, you know, T-City 2.0 is a very real thing. And the, the evolution that he's undergone since the Holloway loss is just probably beyond anything I've ever seen because that kind of devastation and that humiliation would have broken a lot of people. Yeah. But it made him stronger and he came back better than ever before from it. And that's the sign of a champion. I mean, that's the simplest way you can put it. It really, really is. As for how I think this fight is going to go, I just think this is... This is probably the most impossible task that we've had in terms of calling a fight. In fact, I think this is just one of the hardest title fights we'll ever have to predict. But I am actually, see, my my opinion on my bet US pick are completely contradictory. And I've never been in this position before 
because if you were to bet on this fight, I actually like bet US's money on Brian Ortega. I mean, he's plus 155, and I think that's very good money for the fight that we're facing. I think it's smart money. I do think it's safe money just because he is that genuinely good. The problem is every time I play this fight out of my head, I see Alexander Volkanovsky winning. And that'll come as a real shock to a lot of people. But I just think Volkanovsky's so underrated that he's going to sneak in and stun everybody yet again. I think with Volkanovsky, you've got pressure that's perhaps equal to or greater than Holloway's pressure. All right, you don't have the boxing, but then you have the wrestling. And that's a completely different based on its own merits. I can see Volkanovsky taking Ortega down and damaging him on the ground. And I personally, I can see a split decision for Alexander Volkanovsky. That's how tight I think this fight's going to be. So people, if I'm giving you contradictory advice here, I do apologize because it is contradictory. I'm not even going to lie to you. It, it is contradictory and it won't make any sense. Out of all the odds that I can see in this card, I'm not betting on Lauren Murphy at plus 800 because just no, don't put do it. Put a dollar down on that. Why not? I mean, yeah, they, you have I nothing mean, to lose. <laughs> they put 50 cents in it or yeah, something if you yeah. really, really want to. Yeah. But I mean out of all the odds i mean curtis blades his odds aren't bad but i still think rosenstroy takes that, that fight way too close that fight yeah, can go either way. It, it's far too close if you wanted my advice people watching this on the internet my i would tell you to bet on brian ortega but in my own analytical mindset i see alexander volkanovsky winning this See, I actually love that. And we're going to disagree on everything except for the Shevchenko thing, but that makes a great podcast, and that's why we're here. And this shows just how phenomenal this fight card is, top to bottom. We haven't even mentioned Dan Hooker's on the prelims. I mean, you have Marab Devalish really fighting again. It's a shout out Dan Hooker on Hot Cross for making weight, by the way. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and, and he was asked about it, and he's like, well, we agreed to do it. And they're, they're going to deliver. Respect to both of those guys. They should both move up in the rankings despite whatever happens in the fight. Just for that. Yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, true fighters for sure. Um, whenever you're looking at uh, – so I'm going to tell you why you should pick Ortega and be confident to put your bet U.S. pick of the night on Ortega. And it's weird for me to pick a main event because I usually – my big thing is I stay away from main events whenever you're betting. But for this card, it is just so tight. Every single fight is so close that you're going to have to pick and choose. And the only fight where I feel now, let me start by saying this. I love what you said about Volkanovsky because for some reason, now I'm going to pick Ortega, but I'm getting that feeling too. Every time I picture the fight and I think it's because of just how we saw Brian Ortega fight in the one title fight, the one title opportunity that he was given. And it was just a total change from the undefeated, almost perfect looking prospect to getting battered by Max Holloway. And that's why I think I keep seeing Volkanovsky winning this. But when I look at it objectively from my mind and, and, and think about it, I look at what Brian Ortega did when he took two years off, which was a genius move. Completely oh, renew- it was it was amazing. Completely reinvented his striking and went out there and dominated the Korean zombie on the feet. Barely even attempted a takedown in that fight and rocked and beat the Korean zombie on the feet. The Korean zombie is one of the best strikers in the featherweight division and in the UFC as a whole. And he beat him on the feet. Brian Ortega, who was getting absolutely mauled and battered on the feet by Max Holloway. Max Holloway was literally having to put up his hands in the fight because he felt bad for the guy. He went and reinvented that. If that Brian Ortega goes out there with that, that style and fights a guy 
like Volkanovski, who is a shorter opponent, he will have the reach on him and forces Volkanovski, maybe rocks him a little bit. Volkanovski can get rocked. He got rocked a couple times, three times bad against uh, Max Holloway in that fight. If he can go out there, put that pressure on there, force Volkanovski to shoot. That's my thing. If Volkanovski takes him down, Brian Ortega is so dominant on the ground. That is who he is at his core, at his base is a jujitsu fighter. I don't know if it's the best thing in the world for, um, for Volkanovski to take him down. I kind of get shades of how I felt about Michael Chandler versus Charles Oliveira going into it. Michael Chandler wants to keep the fight on the feet. Now, granted, I think Brian Ortega is a better striker comparatively to Charles Oliveira based off of what we saw the last fight. If Ortega brings that striking there, and if Volkanovski takes him down and lets his guard down for a second, Brian Ortega can end the fight. He can end the fight from anywhere on the ground. And then, look, if Volkanovski is like, okay, I don't want to be down here, you go back up, and then Ortega's back on the feet. And that's why I love Ortega in this fight. And that's why I think plus 155, look, for this fight, that's a big underdog, all right? This fight is as close as it gets, which is why we love it. We love many events that are close, but don't get too many of them. This is a main event that could seriously go 50-50, and that's why we're disagreeing on it. I think Ortega just has the, the skill set, and if he comes in with that championship mindset, if he fights like he did against the Korean Zombie, I love this fight for Brian Ortega, and that's where you should put your money at plus 155. Dude, I can't be mad at the word that you've just said because every single syllable you've just said makes complete sense. It does. I'm not going to argue it. The problem is as well, everything that you've argued for Ortega, even on the ground, I can kind of counter-argue with Volkanovski. And don't get me wrong, Ortega's an anaconda on the ground. He's a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu black belt. You don't get much higher than that. The problem is when we saw a very similar thing with Oliveira against Chandler, Chandler was able to smash his way through the guard as well. we mm. got to remember, this is not a Jiu-Jitsu grappling match. This is a mixed martial arts match. And Volkanovski, even if he is in Ortega's guard, whether he's an open guard, whatever, he's not going to just lie there and let Ortega advance. But what, what happened in that Chandler fight, though? He almost got rear naked choked because he did jump in there. But before he dropped him, obviously, like he dropped him and then got, got in his guard. But at the beginning of the fight, whenever he like, you know, tried to get him in the guillotine and then he got back up on top and tr- jumped him, and then Oliveira got the rear naked choke. I mean, anything can happen, which is why I favor Ortega in these ground situations, because he just is that guy on the ground. True. Yeah. But Volkanovski is also an elite wrestler as well. Hey, that's absolutely right. Yeah, dude. And the yeah. thing is, as well, you know, I always thought that an elite jiu-jitsu practitioner would just decimate a wrestler on the ground. And I have to admit, Chandler actually gave me hope for wrestlers against jiu-jitsu fighters. Yeah. Yeah. He's never going to be as technical as a jiu-jitsu fighter because that's just the nature of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But wrestlers can tough it out and wrestlers can smash their way through when they really need to. Yeah. And what you got to remember is, well, one of Volkanovski's greatest weapons especially in the ground as well are those short vicious elbows as well if he can open up a cut in ortega similar to the one holloway opened up we could see a doctor involved here as well not that i want for the love of god people not that i want that to happen i'm simply saying that could possibly be a factor in this fight as well because i think ortega has range but i would argue volkanovsky has more power and more damage as well Yeah, for sure for sure and you got to remember as well, after the damage Ortega took in the Volkanovski fight, he will have quite a bit of scar tissue as well. All it takes is one and two elbows in the right places and all that comes out again. So 
realistically, Volkanovski doesn't have to outstrike Brian Ortega. All Volkanovski has to do is try and land enough damage on Ortega. And then if Ortega gets damaged and he starts bleeding, he can leave himself susceptible as well. But the point we're making is there is no way of calling this fight. There just isn't. All we can do is rationalize our own end and see what happens, really. Oh, I just, I love it so much. I love it so much. A whole fight card, other than Shevchenko, of course, could go either way. And it's, it's amazing. You're, every fight, you're going to be on the edge of your seat watching it, and especially for this main event. And what a high-level main event of that as well. It's going to be fantastic. Um, what you said about Volkanovski is perfect. I mean, that's his strategy. That's what he's going to have to do. Um, the elbows are a very big factor if he cuts them up. If, if, look, if Ortega starts bleeding everywhere, and especially if they go to round three, four, and five, and he starts bleeding everywhere, no submission, no matter what it is, is going to happen because it's going to be way too slippery in there. That is absolutely what Volkanovski has to do. But can he do it? That's the big question. Can he do it? Can Ortega overcome his demons of his first loss, his only loss in his UFC and MMA career? Uh, maybe not MMA, but his UFC career. Can he overcome that and 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 become the champion? It's going to be so good. I cannot wait. What a night of fights! I'm so excited. I've been this is beginning me through the week, man. I've been I've been talking about this all week. I'm so excited. It's going to be phenomenal and great podcast. So everyone, thank you so much for listening. As always, make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube. Make sure to listen to us everywhere, literally everywhere, including iTunes and Spotify. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at MMA.Island and check out our website, MMAIsland.net. As always, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Oh, also real quick, big shout out to our sponsors, BetUS. Look, if you're going to bet on Ortega, which technically both of us did say to do, do it through BetUS. You're going to get good odds, good money, good analysis. Do it through them. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Great podcast, Keelan. Amazing podcast, Jack. And thank you, everyone, once again.